This is the portion of our worship to God where we take a part of His Word to be able to read it, to be able to consider it, and to be able to grow and learn from it. If you have your Bibles, we encourage you to open them to the book of Colossians. We're going to begin our study in verse 19, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. The lesson is going to be titled, A Plan Comes Together. And if you will, I'd like to begin by discussing the idea of our own plans. And I would ask the question, what is the plan for your life? What have you yourself thought about, about what your life has been and will be? For instance, do you have some general goals that you want to achieve? Are there some things in your life that you would like to say, I want, for instance, maybe you're a young person to be able to finish my education, to be able to get married, to have a family? Are there other goals that you might have in life of something? Maybe you want to write a book. Maybe you want to learn a foreign language. Something that is a goal in your life. You see, there are some people who have a specific plan with benchmarks along the way that says, okay, I want to accomplish this, and now I'll do what it takes to accomplish it. On the other hand, there are those people who just take what comes with every day and no plan. In other words, I'll get up today and I'll see what's going to happen. Maybe good, maybe bad, and it's as if there's no plans whatsoever. Well, I think each of us need to think about our lives where we want to go and what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. Now I've got to ask a second question. Do you believe that God has a plan for all of creation? When God said, let there be light, and there was light, and when God spoke this world into existence, did he have a goal? Did he have a plan? Did he have an idea in mind of what he wanted to accomplish? I think everybody would have to say, well, sure he did. In fact, the Bible speaks of the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, talking about Jesus Christ. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. He knew what he wanted to accomplish. But the title of the lesson is when a plan comes together. Do you believe that God has plans for you? Now, if I take my plans and I take God's plans and we work on them so that we bring them together, so that our plans represent what God wants for us, do you know what he wants for you? Well, that's what we're going to study. Beginning with verse 19 and going through the end of the chapter, there are three main ideas that Paul brings out to the Colossians. The first one is a very serious one, that of reconciliation. The second one is responsibility. And the third one is that of revelation. Let's begin, first of all, let's look at verses 19 through verse 22. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness 
should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, I would love to spend a lot of time talking about reconciliation. For just a few minutes, though, I would like to do this. I'd like to just go through one, two, three passages and be able to see God's divine wish, or maybe I should use the correct word, plan to reconcile man. In Romans 5, verses 10 and 11, For if even when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You see, Paul is trying to explain to the Romans, it was through his son that this reconciliation took place. Even when we were enemies, even when we were alienated from God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That phrase in and of itself should be powerful. God is reconciling us to Him. He is the one that is initiating the reconciliation. In Ephesians 2 verse 16, that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The primary reconciliation that we're talking about is that between God and man. How you and I find ourselves estranged from God and God is bringing us back into a relationship with Him, into harmony with Him, into fellowship with Him. That's His plan. And then by extension... If God has reconciled me and God has reconciled you, we are both part of God's family. And thus we have a relationship with one another. And in that case, the Jew and the Gentile both were brought together into one body. Now if I start asking, well, what, all, what does all this mean? What does it all uh, teach in this? Well, it teaches that we were once together. There was a time in my life when God and I were in harmony with one another. You know when that happens? We're born into this world. There's a pure innocence in the heart and in the mind of every child. 
However, there comes a time when that innocence is gone and we're no longer together. But at this point, there was a time when we were together. Then we became estranged. That is, we became separated from God. We were not on a talking basis with God. We were not on a fellowship basis with God. And that we could be back together again. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've seen folks at odds with one another. Maybe it's a husband and a wife. Maybe they've had some sort of conflict in their life. At once they were together deeply in love and then something happened that separated them and they were at odds with one another and then a reconciliation takes place. That's what we're talking about. Now I want you to notice two key points of this text. Number one, verse 20, God made peace. There's a lot of people who like to be peace lovers, but when you approach the Bible, God is a peacemaker. He's the one who extended his hand of welcome, of reconciliation to us. I want you to imagine a husband and a wife there at odds with one another. I'm not sure which one would be at, at fault in this. But one of them says, this is not good. I want to extend my hand. I want to make peace. God is a peacemaker. The second thing that you will notice in verse 21, is that we were alienated and enemies in mind and in works. People who find themselves estranged from God do so because of what they think and what they do. Our minds are so important, we, we develop some sort of Attitude in our minds it says, I don't care what God wants. I want to do what I want to do. We want to participate in things that God has said is wrong and that He cannot abide with. So what created this situation of hostility? Well, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Isaiah is recognizing that the people are estranged from God. Israel has left God and the question is, can God save Israel? And he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. What has happened between us and God is we have become sinners. We have chosen to do wrong. In James 4, verse 4, he uses the terminology of a, of a husband and a wife and of a family. He said, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Just like a man and a wife that are married, and the man says, you know what, I think I like this woman over here and I'm going to leave my wife and I'm going to go to that woman over there. That's exactly what we do to God when we say, I see sin over there and I know that I'm supposed to be in a relationship with God, but I choose the sin. What did it take to bring about the reconciliation, to bring about the peace that God sought? 
in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul would write very simply, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have it because Jesus took the penalty and the punishment for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, 14 and 15, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. God and his family is saying, through Jesus Christ, I'm going to bring everybody together, the whole family together. Now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Jesus paid the penalty to bring about our reconciliation. Now that's a a great theological theme worthy of our giving a lot of time to it. Now verse 23 of this context is going to talk about our responsibility toward that. Now listen carefully as Paul explains the Colossians' response and our response. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Man has to take the responsibility to remain reconciled with God. To use the illustration again of a husband and a wife, they have once been in love and together and sharing that bond, and then all of a sudden something has brought about a a division, a separation. And then through the efforts of maybe an intermediary, which is exactly what Jesus was for us, brought the two back together again. Wrongs have been forgiven. Now there's peace and harmony. But you have to keep working on that peace and harmony. You have to keep on working to bring it together Sometimes we don't understand the fact that when we obey the gospel, that's not the end. In fact, that's the beginning of our working on this relationship with God. Sometimes young men and young women will stand before a preacher or some other person performing the ceremony and they think, oh, we finally got married. Now's when you really start working on it. Now is when you bring together and you keep that harmony for the rest of your life. Paul says here to continue in the faith. You keep doing what God has called upon you to do to have the right kind of faith. He uses the words grounded and steadfast. Those are two terms that talk about having a firm foundation and not allowing yourself to be moved, you know, to use a little simple song and the idea from Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, the record of Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, about 
the person who builds his house on the rock versus those who build their house on the sand. And then he says, are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You keep your mind focused on what you're trying to accomplish, those plans, if you will. I want to be able to go to heaven. I want to be able to live eternally with God. Paul's not going to leave this theme. If you go to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, As therefore you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and builded up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You have been given a privilege to be able to be reconciled with God. Now you root yourself in that. You build yourself up on that. Now very quickly, let's take the third idea that's found here. That's found in verses 24 through 29. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. What was that then? To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, or the glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor and striving accordingly to his working which works in me mightily. You see, God revealed his plan. I can know what God wants for all of his creation. I can know what God wants for me. You can know what God wants for you. Are there some of your goals in your life and those in God's that are compatible and work together? Well, sure there are. If your goal is to be educated, well, certainly that's within God's will. If it's in your role to have a family, that's certainly within God's will. You see, there's a lot of other things that's in God's will too. God wants you to be one of his children. In fact, God wants you to be a faithful child of his. Paul was assigned a stewardship to reveal the mystery. A stewardship means that you are given a job, you're given an obligation, you're given something you're supposed to fulfill, but you're also given the resources to accomplish that. God gave Paul the mystery to be able to reveal and he gave him the ability to reveal that mystery so that whether it was Colossians or MacMenvillians, we can be able to read it, to 
understand it and to comprehend it. Look at verse 25. The stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul said, God gave me this. It's a part of his word for you. When you and I read Colossians, don't think, well, that was just for them. It's not for me. No, it's for all of us. Verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations has now been revealed to his saints. Not everybody gets the big picture that you and I do. We have all 66 books that go from Genesis to Revelation that explain to us God's initial work in this universe, carrying us all the way to the consummation of the ages, to the time when God will destroy this world and then provide an eternal home for His children. Now I can see God's plan plainly and clearly as it is worked out. But then I get to verse 27, what I consider to be the theme verse of the book of Colossians. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of His glory, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. I should be able to live a life so that people look and see Christ living in me. People should be able to look at your life and know that you are a Christian because Christ lives in you. It ought to reflect the way you talk. It ought to reflect the way you act. It ought to reflect where you go and what you do. Well, now let's focus on this revelation that has been made known, this revealing of the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul would say, Him we preach. Wherever Paul went, you know what he preached? He preached Christ and Him crucified. You know when those early men went out from Jerusalem preaching the gospel, like Philip in Acts chapter 8? He went down and preached Christ to them. If someone comes to you and says, Hey, I understand you go to church. Tell me about your church. Well, let me tell you about the head of the church. Let me tell you about the Savior of the body. Let me tell you about Christ who can be in you. Because you see, if we focus on the church, and that is important, you're going to focus on you and I, and we all have our own feet of clay. We all have our own failures. But if you focus on Jesus and you focus on His church, then you're focusing on perfection. Him we preach. And then He says it's all about Jesus, what He did for us, and how He works in us. And Paul ends that in verse by saying, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working which works in me mightily. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to work so that you get the message 
and it works in you. Okay, let's bring it all together now. Let's look at that section as a whole. Did and does God have a plan? You can say, absolutely He does. I know what God wants. Now the second question, does God have a plan for you? Does it apply to you specifically? Does it apply to me specifically? Well, sure it does. Here's what he wants from you. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Don't miss that phrase. Long-suffering toward us. God knows we have sinned against him. But he's trying to be patient with us. Not willing that any should perish. God's plan is not one of us should be destroyed in hell. But that all should come to repentance. God's wanting me, he's wanting you, he's wanting all of us to say to the sin which attracted us and pulled us away, no, and come back to him and say, I'm sorry, God, I'm I'm ready to come home. This is all made possible through what Jesus did. In Hebrews 2 verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste of death for everyone. For everyone. That's the reason why Paul in verse 28 says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man, that we may present every man. You see, it's for everybody. You shouldn't look at yourself and say, Well, there's all these billions of people on earth, and there's all these important people. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for each of us individually, personally, every man. Will you allow God to use you? Will you be a part of his plan? I know some of you, again, as I begin that part of the lesson to talk about Do you have specific, concrete plans that you want to accomplish in your life? Well, sure. But will your plan coincide with God's plan for your life? Because I can tell you what God wants. He wants to save you eternally. And He's given Jesus to die on the cross to make that possible and bring about that peace. And if you will let God use you and you will submit to his plan then you can enjoy that eternal home in heaven if you're not a Christian we're going to sing an invitation song and here's the plan for you you believe in Jesus Christ you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe you repent of your sins 
That is, you look at those things you've done wrong that have separated you from God, and you say, I'm sorry, God, I didn't mean to do those things, or I'm sorry that I did them now, my mind has changed. You allow others to know that you believe in Christ, confess His name, and then be baptized, immersed in water. That was the plan that God gave. Many of you have done that. Some of you have not. When we sing the invitation song, if you'll come to the front and say, I want to be baptized, we'll, we'll accomplish that for you this morning. For many of us, we're already Christians. We've already done what God has asked us to do, but we've not been living like it. We've not been maintaining that relationship with God. And for that reason, some of us can't go to God in prayer. When we sing, there's no thrill in our voices because we're not singing praise to God. We're just singing words on a page. Some of us, when we come and we partake of the Lord's Supper, we don't even think about the bread being His body and the, the fruit of the vine being His blood. It's lost its meaning to us. I want to beg you, I'm going to plead with you, if you're not in a right relationship with God, this morning, when we sing this invitation song, Jesus Paid It All, would you come and be responsive to His call as together we stand and sing?